going to sync uh sync up the recording uh in solidarity with donald rumsfeld and the people of azerbaijan <laughs> that's right yeah. that's a joke from before the podcast started <laughs> that's, right. that's right because i i want to do now every episode of tf is we look at one sort of um you might say long-standing uh republican uh member of congress mm. and identify what is the one country they're super 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 into and today, mm. Donald Rumsfeld and well, Azerbaijan. Surprisingly, it's Thailand. <laughs> and, and <laughs> <laughs> I bet there's a Republican member of Congress yeah, who Foley. is like fully in hock to the like Myanmar military junta. Ah, uh, yeah. Well, hey, you know mm. what? And I'm excited to find out who it is. Uh, but in, yeah, if you know, write in. In in the meantime, however, uh, I would like to introduce the podcast. Okay. Uh, it is us, TF. Which, which podcast is it? Uh, hang on, let me check. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is TF. Oh, you're listening to the Romaniacs? Yeah, it's, they're called Oh Fuck What Now, I think, but the fuck has an asterisk in it. That's Are they right. allowed Aww. to say that? In case oh, that's why the asterisk handle the full oh. fuck. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, it might say feck, it might say fuck, we don't know. Yeah, that's right. Well, regardless oh, of what it says. Oh Fuck What Now, it's a sequel to Meet the Fockers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Regardless of what it says, this is TF. It is me, Riley. There is also Milo. Uh, hi, it's me, your boy. There is Alice. <laughs> there is Hussein. <laughs> hi. And we are also very excited to have, uh, I think, three-time returning champion, Abby Thorne. Oh, it's got to be more. Hello, hello, hello. It's so nice not to have to do the Matt Berry voice. Mm -hmm. And I think <laughs> I speak for all of us when I say... Uh, it is very fun for us not to live in that turfy thought experiment. That yeah, we had to yeah, it's nice you can all use months. my name. No, you don't understand. Yeah. You have to misgender your friend. It's the only way to disarm the yeah. bomb. <laughs> <laughs> there uh, have been a few guests who've come on as many times as you, but none who've come on in as many genders as you. So I think uh, you can I take am, that as an I achievement. Definitely, yeah, I'm definitely winning. Uh, yeah, you, right. you will take home the uh, special memorial cheese grater. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, logo. So we've, we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today um we have uh, a couple of quick things to do we have a startup to talk about and then we are finally going to get to the bottom of what the fuck is with this island and it's uh, many fabulous uh transphobes who we uh, mm. love so much yeah um so but first before we get into any of that i want to issue the uh, official uh, trash future congratulations of february uh to softbank uh, oh, SoftBank, them again, yeah. employee of the month yet once again. <laughs> uh, SoftBank's Vision Fund has this is from the FT uh, notched its best performance since its launch in 2017. Even when the group's trading huh. arm racked up losses of 2.7 billion from its uh, insane Nasdaq whale trades, I added insane uh, in the final quarter of 2020. Uh, the Japanese tech conglomerates two vision funds have reported a $13 billion rise in the valuation of their investment holdings during the three months leading to December, uh, boosted primarily by the rise in holdings of uh, Uber and DoorDash and other. Cool. And yes. All of those valuations Isn't... are completely accurate and yes. valid according to what mm. the company actually does and makes. Isn't this also like a couple of months after a large amount of the Saudi money went out of the vision fund and into other stuff? Which is very funny to me. It's the uh, the vi it's that they declined to invest in Vision Fund Two, as ah, I understand. Okay, it. so they, they they failed to buy GameStop when Two it was Vision low. Two Fund. That's right. So, um, Alice, are you suggesting that they've got some kind of revenge workout bot 
to get back at the Saudis. The head of of SoftBank is just like going out and getting jacked and inflating his portfolio to make himself look good because the Saudis have left him. Yeah, Yeah. just posting on Instagram like, yeah, I'm thriving actually. And meanwhile, on the eighth floor of the Riyadh Ritz-Carlton, MBS is like doom scrolling. Meanwhile, (laughs) meanwhile, on the seventh floor of the Riyadh Ritz-Carlton, MBS's family members are still there. (laughs) (laughs) If you really want to get back at the Saudis, you've got to really work out your neck. Get a really jacked neck. Be like, so, there's nothing you can do to me now. Uh, so I'm, I'm, but anyway, I'm sure this represents the uh, increase in the sort of actual value, potential revenue, and so on, mm. of all of the insane boondoggles into which the Vision Fund has invented, mm. uh, invest, invented yep. rather, invested, and not the general f- frenzy in markets around the, all the world to put all the money that can be created at permanent zero interest rates into any asset they can possibly get their hands on. Yeah. No, no, I'm sure that no, they didn't just like forget the money switch was left on. And now the SoftBank Vision Fund is profitable. Remember, it's not a bubble. It's more of a kind of air pocket in liquid. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you need to survive underwater? Air pockets. That's right. How could that be bad? uh, View, uh, there are rumors that View, the SoftBank company that makes windows that tell you if it's raining, but also Mm. that allow landlords to turn off your windows. Mm. Um, uh, They may be going public via SPAC, another one. Mm. Great. Hell so yes. everybody buy shares in that. Uh, now. Not investment yeah. advice. <laughs> this is not investment advice, advice, but but we can say that all of us will be in- investing our entire life savings in the yeah. windows that make you <laughs> n- like mm. know whether it's raining or not, and also spy on you. And if you if you own shares in regular windows, sell them now because that that's fucking useless. Mm. That's yesterday's not tech. advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's, that's pure normal glass. But hey, if we want to talk a little bit more about tomorrow's tech, let's talk startups. Okay. The company mm-hmm. is called, and I'm not making this up, Okay. Pipe Dream. Cool. <laughs> uh, uh, Abby, as the guest, please, your first guess, what does Pipe Dream do? Uh, Pipe Dream uh, supplies... Uh, it supplies strap-ons to trans men. <laughs> that would be more socially useful than what they do. It's a kind of holodeck that AI generates deep-faked VR pornography. Uh, no, that would be more useful than what they actually do. Hussein? Um, I don't know, but you know what is a pipe dream? 50% of women on CEO boards, am I right? <laughs> oh, on, on CEO boards, you say? Yeah, that's right, where everyone's a CEO. Also, wait, 50% right. of women, are we saying 50% of the world's women should be on some kind of a board? <laughs> I right. don't know, yeah, I don't know. It's been, a, it's, 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 been, it's been a long day. Um, um, something, look, I, I, I'll, I'll say this, right? I'll say this because wait, I right, say you it every time. Are 50% of the world's women shouldn't be on some kind of board? Mm. No, I'm saying 100% should be on some kind of board. <laughs> oh, only 100%? What I'm going to say is what I say every time we do a startup that I can't figure out, which is that it's something to do with phrenology. Uh, no. Damn. Uh, is, it, huh. is it like a pipe that comes into your house that dispenses some kind of item like ice cream or juice? or does yes! it Actually. <laughs> oh, you're what? fucking kidding oh, me. Word. It's cum, isn't it? <laughs> no, it doesn't, it doesn't dispense like... An, a particular object, it dispenses <laughs> objects generally. So, listeners, I'm quite so excited just, about this startup because I have a theory that all the TF uh, startups are either landlords, surveillance, or financial crimes, or some combination of them. And Riley mm. has assured me that Pipe Dream is none of those things. 
Some some of the startups you are missing category. an important fourth category, which is like useless things that do not work and are over engineered to solve a problem that doesn't exist. So it pipes something into your house. Mm. It says here's here's some of the um uh, copy. Someday we'll ship things with teleportation. Oh fuck! It's like it's a vacuum sealed tube that like you can put parcels in. It's a sex teleporter from that movie that we reviewed. <laughs> yes, we finally getting, done it. Getting sucked off by a tube. Someday we'll be able to ship things with teleportation. Until then, we'll use Pipe Dream. Pipe Dream is no, a network won't. of underground tubes that offer near instantaneous delivery of objects. Hell yeah! To, ho- to and from homes and businesses. Oh, Visit sorry. I, awesome. I, I thought I was being. Oh. Oh, yeah. stuff, but my Amazon package has been stolen by the Tube Morlocks who have built a <laughs> parallel society down the there. Tube Mafia. Yeah, that's down right. there like, hey, uh, you want to use this tube? This is an Elon Musk ass idea. Uh, well, it, 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 is. it is. It is a hyper... It, it, what they're saying is Hyperloop is all well and good for transporting people, but what it's about really not. a Hyperloop for transporting items? Mm. What's wrong well, with just driving them around... I mean, uh, Abby, carbon emissions. There's the site. There's the stat about carbon oh, emissions. They all okay, say, okay. and item items don't like die hideously in all of the ways that like a hyperloop will kill its passengers. Mm-hmm. So, so this is a good idea. Fine, this is yeah. good. So, how do you this actually propel like the packages through the tube? Uh, well, you well, how a hyperloop jet tends to work is you have a vacuum tube. So a completely sort of empty, uh, you know, drained tube. Yeah. You put a thing it's, in it's it. Like, like a normal it's penis. marginally more dangerous than having a garbage disposal in your sink because you'll just have a tube that goes to vacuum yeah, in your right. house. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I'm concerned about how we slow the package down at the other end. Oh, they haven't oh, thought of that yet. This is a very early uh, company. <laughs> you, ah, did, you just okay. get that shit at terminal velocity. Yeah, yeah. just everything I order is in bits. Yeah. <laughs> it's time it arrives. Yeah. Uh, Riley, yeah. Riley, Riley's pepper grinder came today, and he has unfortunately died. Just ricochets <laughs> on the ceiling and just embeds itself in your eye. Yeah, yeah that's right. It's like grain, grinds pepper all over your house. Um, <laughs> the, well, this this technology has like existed for a long time. They just on small because they do this in like supermarkets. Like they take the cash out of the till, they put it in a thing, and it goes in like the vacuum. Yeah, tube I always thought those like were great. A, yeah, that's cool. Like, that works on that small of a scale, but they're suggesting that it's somehow carbon efficient to build a network of tubes uh-huh. over, like, the entire world? Uh, well, they say that Pipe Dream is capable of 200 plus MPH speeds, and that's a theoretical time of 10 minutes from San Francisco to Palo Alto. Wow. The only Ooh. two places the only in the world. places it will that's run. Right, yeah. <laughs> uh, what I also think is very funny is that this is the only, like, local shipping. Uh, a solution that is vulnerable to like an Operation Ivy Bell style sabotage. <laughs> I have tapped into the pipe dream, <laughs> and now I'm getting everyone's Amazon packages of sex dildos. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. It's, just, it's like it's like tapping an oil well. It's just like fine kitchen goods have just spurted into my house, <laughs> and it's crashing through the roof. Really? Is it- Welcome back to Well, There's Your Problem, <laughs> a podcast about engineering disasters with slides. Yeah. <laughs> with tubes. Um, hearing about this, I'm just feeling like the Unabomber was born in the wrong generation. He could have had so mm. much fun well, with this. It would have been more of a Unirailgun. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> it would have been so, great. This is such a, like, a watcher's Futurama once ass idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so it was like, hey, some of us have watched it twice. Yeah. So basically, they say hyperlogistics is the ability to instantaneously receive hyper-logistics. goods. Hyperlogistics. Yeah, delivered to you no matter where you are within seconds. 
Hyperlogistics uh-huh. via an underground tubing system will be used to deliver goods and tools to mm. relieve the need to purchase and store items only needed on occasion. So you can buy something, use it, then put it back into the tube system. Oh, it's another. Oh, it's another. It's the fourth thing from our Venn diagram of finding ways to make you rent stuff uh-huh. you would otherwise own. Well, this is this is the. There are five things then. There's making you rent stuff you'd otherwise own, which is, I guess, kind mm. of a subcategory of landlords. Yeah, it's like landlords, landlords, landlords for your yeah. stuff. I guess and so, then, yeah. But I guess the fourth category truly is fancy, just uh, a child drew something in crayon and you're putting it on the fridge. Yeah, whimsy. <laughs> yeah. The, this, this company is across the street from the smart box guys from a couple of episodes ago, mm. and they all hate each other. <laughs> That's They're right. furious at each other. <laughs> Uh, so, hyperlogistics via an underground tubing system will be used to deliver goods and tools to relieve the need to purchase and store items only needed on occasion. And after the items have been used, they can be returned through the pipeline via the pipeline to the sender. So From the tube we emerge, and onto the tube we <laughs> shall return. So you need two tubes. You need the you need the yeah. going out and the coming back tube. Yeah, well, I will, I will say this: much, like though, it is very fun to just say items, mm-hmm. like because they can't specify what they're actually going to fit in these tubes. It's so great to be like, man, Definitely do you like children. to receive items? Mm-hmm. You're going to have to get like all to, your packages in cylindrical items? boxes. Yeah, mm-hmm. oh, yeah, a lot like, more stuff. That's be why they were developing the round pizza box. Yeah, exactly. Synergy. <laughs> it's all coming together. It, was, it all made sense. Um, so uh, a, a little more on this. They say that they're proposing a funding model similar to how the uh, U.S. government built the American sewage system. Um, uh-huh. Okay. Which is like, I, I believe that was... Um, <laughs> it's full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, it was vacuum sealing the shit. Just firing it to Palo Alto at 200 bucks. If you've ever been to Palo Alto, that's kind of the vibe there. <laughs> fuck, fuck the Unabomber. The prank capacities yeah. of this alone. So uh, oh, basically, yeah. as, as I understand it, the um, federal funding tends for like uh, sewage tended to be funded by like grants to local governments. Mm. So I don't know. And again, I I don't know much about this. I welcome being corrected if I'm wrong. I don't. I I I think they just sort of assuming that they're going to get. Do not correct us. But no, correct <laughs> me. That's fine. I assume that they're just going to get like, um, like like they they they, they think they're just going to get funded by like. The government to make tubes that go from everywhere to everywhere. Yeah. Well, cool. I mean, that's the yeah. same thing as Hyperloop, so sure, why not? So how yeah, do you not? get the energy to generate the vacuum? Uh, it's nah, magic. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Okay. You know. Nah, nah, you can see here that the tube runs from the Office of Naval Intelligence <laughs> on the one side of the square, <laughs> yeah, onto right. the square through here to the we CIA. Have to, we have to stop you guys from watching JFK, because every time you watch JFK, you get JFK madness for two full weeks afterwards. That's right. <laughs> and Nate is just left picking the references to it out of the podcast before it airs. Mm. Uh-huh. Um, anyway. Finally, though, I can I can jump into this thing and I can become the philosophy tube. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> so uh, they have they uh, they have recorded two imports, uh, both from China, uh, as mm-hmm. um, on the, the sort of U.S. import records, which I, I've mm. checked. Uh, they have. Two oh, orders. I thought you meant in the tube. I was like, they've already done it. <laughs> well, they, got they, a, they got a tube from China. Wow, the, the silk tube. <laughs> they appear to have ordered uh, two uh, two two consignments: one from Ningpo and one from Shanghai. Um, 13 and 50 uh, containers, respectively, of glass water bottles. Sorry, this is this is this is a fucking Soviet anecdote. This isn't a real thing that's happened. This is like <laughs> this is going to end with a bizarre joke. Uh, Why glass water bottles? 
Seems yeah, glass seems the like the first thing I would fire through the vacuum tube. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Mm. Well, they say, basically, they say, what if Walmart had developed the internet? And they're saying they're trying to develop this it in partnership with the government mm. by basically being like, Amazon shouldn't be allowed to develop the system of tubes that goes from everywhere to everywhere. But there's a okay. reason why they haven't, though. Mm. Uh-huh, they're doing something it's because that, it's a that works. terrible idea. Yeah. yeah. But he's saying, but but he's saying, what if Walmart, which was like the biggest retailer when the internet was around, developed the internet to facilitate its transactions? And again, what they've mistaken is that um, it's much easier to run, uh, let's say, uh, cables to server farms rather than run either uh, object-sized tubes from everywhere to a central sorting facility, mm. or what appears to be from everywhere to everywhere else. That's cool. So there's like there's like infinite tubes coming into your house that go to like every other house in the world. Yeah, it's like a giant pipe organ everywhere. <laughs> awesome. It's gonna be so difficult to get the cornering down. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> How are they gonna? I, I'm sure they've thought of that. Yeah. Two hundred miles an hour, just I don't know, like sending like a, a loaf of freshly baked bread to my mother. I mean, <laughs> look, the most like obvious thing that seems to like have been overlooked by these guys is just the fact that like digging that far into the earth might not necessarily be like a good thing um all things considered like Sending in them relation directly to climate through the change. earth's core right, I mean, awakening mm-hmm. the balrog are you worried about mm. <laughs> i mean <laughs> yes. yes yeah absolutely uh, but like you know you, you'd end up like having like you know you you'd end up just having a lot like having to dig a lot of pipes all the time and it just feels like, like this you is have like to the lay thing a that. lot of pipe even more than milo <laughs> Mm, yeah, that's right. <laughs> and like I I Elon know. Musk's boring company, like the Hyperloop, at least he had a, a fig leaf for this, which was like he was going to make tunnel boring machines work better by making them epic. They don't even have this, right? Yeah. They're just like, no, we're get, we're going to dig a, a tunnel from everywhere to everywhere. They're using normal bacon instead of epic bacon. Yeah. So th- mm. they say um, physical objects take an insane amount of time to be, quote, downloaded to or uploaded from mm. a user of a you physical interface. You wouldn't Why download you a physical delivered? object. You stupid because, bastard. Because this guy's called mm. Garrett and he's from Silicon Valley. That's why. Oh, uh, cool. uh, with Pipe Dream, the time it takes to send or receive something will feel almost instant because it will uh, be destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pipe Dream will be made up of passive packages and driving modules that will push the packages through underground tunnels at speeds of 250 miles per hour. Hour, the packages will self-direct, so that's good that they're going to self-direct. Yeah, I was worried about how they would direct. They're but small they're packages themselves, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and propel themselves from the tube to the surface. <laughs> Del- uh, someday there will be a pipe dream node in every home and business. <laughs> However, there are network effects needed to make that happen. So for phase one, we so will yeah, build. Yeah, you could say that. There are some network some effects. Some network effects that need to happen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Building a, a network of tubes that are vacuum sealed and span the entire earth. Well, that don't. Milo, don't be ridiculous. Come on. They, they understand they have to start small. They want to dig a new subway system in San Francisco and put a, a pipe dream node in every neighborhood. In every neighborhood. So it's going to be like the, the early days of the telephone. they got to go down like, to the, the items pump. Yeah, you're like, like going my shit. Yeah. yeah, they're basically trying to do like a no man's sky situation <laughs> where you just have like a big box that contains kind of just all the ambient I- items TM that you mm. can get. Um very fun. They say, just finishing this up, uh, eventually there will be a node in every home and business, similar to how gigabit internet meant people stored less files in local storage. Again, 
I think not similar to that because it won't work. Also, the, yeah, difference, like, the key difference between those two ideas is that idea makes sense. This idea yeah. <laughs> makes no sense. That idea relied on largely existing infrastructure like telephone lines. This involves an infrastructure that does not and cannot exist. <laughs> well, I think I think also like they're kind of forgetting that you know, um, a sex dildo uh, to a pepper grinder. Uh, to whatever else you I mean, may a order. A pepper grinder online. is a sex so, dildo. If you're brave enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Fine. You also, you have it's... to get your sex dildos in front of the whole town because you've got to go down mm. the road to the item pump. But, yeah, but got to make the pussy sneeze. What's, but what's different here? What if I ordered a dildo and I got a pepper grinder? I'd be a bit awkward. Yeah, you'd have to. Well, you just get one of those dildos with the tubes in them, but you like yeah. fill it with pepper. Because <laughs> the put thing it back is, into you're the just thing. like jerking yeah. off this cock full of pepper. <laughs> yeah, because the thing is, right? Actually, a, a pepper grinder you could use as a dildo, but you can't use a yeah. dildo as a pepper anyway, grinder. Anyway, the best anyway. you could do was sort of use it as a pestle and mortar. Okay, get the ones this with is, the cum tubes. <laughs> this is th- this is this is going nowhere fast. What I want to say here, right? Much is like, like a startup. Yeah. What is, is you know, it, it, with the internet that works because all that information is rendered down into things that are like one another, but mm. and easily items, transmissible. Yes, yeah. Physical Podcasts. items are not like that, and you can't just be like, "Well, we have our item storage here, and we have a bunch of uniform servers that contain." Mm. I don't know, things with dimension, volume, uh, uh, mass, <laughs> area, uh, perimeter, all these other kinds of dimensions that mm. information doesn't have. Now, what is the perimeter of this sex dildo? Uh-huh. Indeed. Mm. So, uh, anyway, they say they, they, they have basically made this, uh, made this comparison, and you, I, I, when I found them, they were just some random website, and I didn't mm. want to talk about them. I now am talking about them because they've been admitted to like some kind of a tech accelerator and are actually being funded at an early stage to try and do this moronic thing. That one really putting the accelerationism into accelerator. (laughs) That's right. So (laughs) that was the pipe dream. Uh, Thank Hmm. you to Garrett Scott for inventing this uh, made up garbage. He hasn't invented anything. He's taken one of those old pneumatic tube systems and was like, yeah, what if we just did that? But again, and tech. Thank you to Garrett Scott for uh, engaging in a childish flight of fancy. Yeah, Yeah, thank you for thank you for this drawing, Garrett. It's very good. We're going to put it on the fridge. Yeah, the startup (laughs) fridge. So uh, I want to move on a little bit. Uh, Last summer, uh, a couple setting off a smoke bomb to reveal their baby's gender invited ignited rather. Uh, a wildfire in Southern California, which burned for over 22,000 acres. Yeah, that was their baby's gender. Uh, another <laughs> um, gender reveal party in 2020 started a wildfire in Florida. Uh, another one in California caused a wildfire that forced 21,000 people to evacuate. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Another uh, gender reveal party uh, using Tannerite set uh, dry brush on fire uh, in, I believe, Arizona. It's very funny uh, to me then, once they get into using stuff like Tannerite, just like it's like <laughs> gun guys doing gender reveal parties. Uh, and then in Iowa, uh, a family accidentally built what, something that was classified as a, a later classified as a pipe bomb. Uh, <laughs> 200 miles an hour. Our, ba- our baby's gender is the Unabomber. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, unfortunately killed the baby's grandmother. Another gender reveal party. <laughs> That the same. young will replace the old. <laughs> <laughs> it's an <laughs> <out of> stoop. 
Um, another gender reveal party later that year caused a plane crash when a pilot intending to what? drop 350 gallons of, wa- of pink water uh, stalled the plane, and then the plane crashed. The pilot was unharmed, and no one else was injured, but the oh. plane did crash. Oh, um, Nigel Farage asked gender so, reveal. Um, yeah, I, I'm very excited for like, yeah, what's the, the next like gender reveal prank gone wrong? Where it's like, yeah, we accidentally set an IED on this like on the A5 to just say we had a boy. Well, yeah, that that was the original plan. Was they were gonna get into the Senate chamber and they were gonna reveal the gender of uh, all of the riotous babies. That's right. So now, now you're suggesting to me that Lee Harvey Oswald, in an attempt to reveal <laughs> his gender, yeah. <laughs> That's right. So, uh, Abby, I have a question for you. In your coming out video, what do you think the total collateral damage was? <laughs> I think the total collateral damage remains to be seen, but uh, it, uh, if the view counts anything to go by, it could go into the millions. So, are we saying that your your gender reveal, with its uh, million, possibly millions of views, is responsible for a very small amount of carbon emission? <laughs> yes, it is. And if only I'd been able to fire my gender reveal down some kind of tube towards people, <laughs> I wouldn't have had to resort to making a video. Yeah, that's right. Well, I certainly crashed my plane while watching Abby's gender reveal, so... Damn you, pipe dream! Why will you not... How many more lives must be lost before you can finally make a safer gender reveal video? If, if, mm. if only you'd set that video in some dry brush. <laughs> mm. I mean, why do people make those... Do those gender reveal parties? That happened... That's a real recent thing, it seems to why me. Why do they only do them next to, like, piles of kindling and in deserts and with <laughs> petrol and... No, we're we're here yeah. at the uh, we're here at the kindling fireworks uh, circular <laughs> bomb uh, factory gun range, and of course, um, home for the uh, criminally disturbed. Time yeah. to set off some bombs. It's a CIA op. <laughs> This is one of those things that there's like a very like English small C conservative deep down inside me that really resents this kind of thing because it's so obviously American. And then people mm. here start doing it. And I'm like, don't mm. be a fucking simp for the Americans. Come on, get your own stupid idiot thing. Don't don't copy well, their idiot stupid thing. idiot thing is transphobia. I wonder yeah. if like, they'll start marrying and, and as, like we'll have gender reveal parties specifically as trans backlash. Mm-hmm. Say, well, we've burnt down this whole forest to announce your gender, so you'd better not bloody change it now. <laughs> right. We've invested, we have paid so much in damages. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm so I'm still paying back my previous gender. I can't. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's right. Honestly, are are you truly free if the if you are in hawk to the bank for your gender? That's right. Yeah. Uh, no, so, uh, anyway, also you mentioned in your uh, in your coming out video. Uh, that trans people in the UK do not have equal rights. Now, I have looked into this uh, document, the Magna Carta, uh, Uh. (laughs) does beg to differ, but uh, please, if you could elaborate. Uh, I I have been owned with facts and logic. I mean, if the Magna Carta says it, it must be true. No, Mm. I mean, it's a very interesting thing, and it's not often talked about uh, the the moment, the actual morning that I came out as trans, I lost some of my rights. So I now can't get married or, uh, or adopt children without permission from the government. I have to get a gender recognition certificate. Uh, uh, or at least not in the way that you, you all can. Uh, Alice accepted, obviously. Oh, I have to get permission mm-hmm. from the government, but that's for entirely that's different entirely reasons. Different reasons. <laughs> and also, um, I mean, for instance, uh, Milo, if you, if you were worried about going bald, 
Um, which you're not, but if you, if you ever did and you were Never worried gonna about happen, it. Never going to happen, baby. That's you right, ladies, if you're listening to this. <laughs> then you could go to your doctor and you could get finasteride, which is a testosterone mm. blocker from your GP to stop you going bald. If mm. I want finasteride for the side effects, i.e. transition, then I have to go and see a psychiatrist. I have to answer a bunch of irrelevant questions about my childhood and how I masturbate. Oh, they, will, and... they will fully ask you about jerking off. Yeah, yeah. Mm. The, the, yeah, the psychiatrist did ask me that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and you, you just like, don't yes, have please. to do that to get the exact same medicine that you can just get like that. So it's mm. very it's very jarring to suddenly lose a bunch of your rights. It's very weird. But I said as much in a tweet, but like it is a tough crowd at the gender clinic. Mm, they yeah. asked me if I did anal, which is so fucking funny to me. And they didn't even laugh when I said, "You well, you got to buy me dinner first. They probably heard it a lot, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the guy's just like pulling his trousers back up. What? <laughs> <laughs> You're not serious about getting this certificate, Miss Caldwell <laughs> Kelly. So, uh, <laughs> we, we, we've spoken about this, this um, gender recognition certificate, right? And that's quite challenging to get um and the question is right if you want to how come you need to have a set and legally recognized gender to adopt a child well normally right what happens in in a in a sane country is you have this process called self-id right where like if you want to change the gender that's on your birth certificate uh, you like you sign an affidavit. You sign a thing saying, "Yeah, no, I'm not doing this for fraudulent purposes, whatever those might be." And then you just do it, right? In the UK, what you have to do is you have to get a gender recognition certificate, which requires you to prove to the satisfaction of a panel. And I, I, I'll ask you to bear in mind that you're paying for the privilege mm. that you well, are I'm not Simon in Cowell. fact. <laughs> that you're not like doing this for some sort of nefarious purposes and that you are a genuine bona fide transsexual. And I'd like to add to that as well that um cis people you can self ID your gender. So mm. uh again using Milo as an example because he's sitting here. Milo if you wanted to get married, uh, mm. you would need to take some ID with you and you would your Chance passport says thing. Your, yeah, your passport says M for male on it so they would go right then that's Mr. Milo Edwards and Miss whoever the lucky lady is, mm. um, you can self-ID. <laughs> it could be the girl, <laughs> the girl reading this. Write <laughs> in, as a, as, yeah, subscribe to the top level of the TF Patreon That's right. to be Milo's yeah. wife. To, 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 to subscribe yeah. to the top level of the TF Patreon to be Milo's top. Mm-hmm. People moaning about the $10 tier aren't serious about being my wife. So <laughs> if you went down to the registry office, you could self-ID, you can use your passport as ID. Mm. Even though my passport says F for female, my passport isn't good enough. Because I'm trans, so if I want to get married, um, and have it say that's why you have that different flag, and have it say Miss Abigail Thorne on the mm. thing rather than Mister Abigail Thorne, then I need to get a gender recognition certificate because my get- ID isn't as good as yours anymore. You also need to get like one of those black passports because I hear that those are like way cooler and like more legit. Mm, yeah, right. <laughs> well, it's like no, the even Nando's that's not good enough. We're saying mm-hmm. I-, I have the new passport and it says F for female. But I mm. can't use it the way that you all can. And I, I think, uh, like, this is, it, it, as I understand it, it was not ever thus, right? Mm. You no, know, this is, this, we, because we had, like, various consultations on self ID. Mm. I think self-ID. in the last five years, we've had nine <laughs> consultations. Yeah. <laughs> and and like it's interesting. It seems like to come down on the side of allowing transgender people equal rights to let them self ID mm. like they do everywhere else is construed as an unacceptable attack on free speech and shutting down debate, which has to go on forever. Yes, basically. Yes. Yeah. Because and, and like the stop. funny thing is, like, the results of those consultations have always been every single time it's been tried 
overwhelmingly in favor mm-hmm. and not just from like uh trans people writing in right like all of the sort of like institutional stakeholders i guess uh and whether that's like uh you know women's rights groups or lgbt groups or any number of like law reform societies things like that um it's always been overwhelmingly in favor and yet every time mysteriously the government whether that's the scottish government who are actually in in some ways worse about this or the uk government they've just been like oh yes that's very interesting um get back to us in six months when we run this exact same consultation Sorry, more debate again. needed you'll like this well, like you'll- this is this is the funny thing right like when i when i finally got my grubby little paws on hormones for the first time right and i finally got approved for those and i finally got my referral for the surgery and everything else uh, I spoke to I spoke to the psychiatrist at the gender clinic up here in Glasgow, and I said, "Right, do I need to go about getting a gender recognition certificate now?" And this guy said, "I probably wouldn't bother because it's quite expensive and it's quite onerous, and they're doing a consultation any second now. We'll have self ID, so you know, don't even don't stress <laughs> about it. Just just wait like six months, and you'll be able to do it yourself." You're right, though, and, Riley, um, that it wasn't ever thus. Um, and you'll like this story because it involves uh, a, a divorced guy and some big divorced energy. Nice. Uh, there was a trans woman uh, years ago. Alice, you might need to tell me the decade. May have been seventies. April Ashley, um, who was married might to might have been sixties. Might have been sixties. Uh, she was married to uh, this guy who was either like a, a lord or a viscount or something. And anyway, their marriage mm. didn't last. She was she was a trans model, and and they got divorced. And she demanded some money from him as a result of the divorce settlement. And he came up with this genius defense in court where he said, my wife is legally a man. My wife. And therefore, you, we have not been married. I cannot owe my ex-wife money if she was never my wife. Because at that time, of course, gay marriage was not recognized. And yeah, the judge- Everyone's a trans ally until we have to pay alimony. The judge agreed with him and said, your wife, in quotes, is legally a man and therefore- not just your marriage, but every trans person's marriage in Britain was annulled overnight like that. And suddenly self-ID was gone, whereas previously it had been there. It was nineteen seventy-one, by the way. I have to say I'm very I'm very surprised by that purely because of how like regressive British attitudes at the time were, even to like straightforward homosexuality that like that was kind of a sort of like to advanced homosexuality <laughs> well, no, you know what I mean is in like I'm surprised yeah, that, like yeah. a country which like I'd only recently 2.0. Made, yeah that's right that a country that only made homosexuality legal like very recently uh, ha- was not doing something to clamp down on trans people getting married before that that really surprises me just as a well for the longest time people uh, people thought that we were the same as gay people I mean, the, the, mm-hmm. for the longest time, some people still do. Some people will still look at me and mm-hmm. say, that's just a gay man. And I have to tell you, that is very much not the case. Oh, you're a gay so- woman. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. So um, I think let's, let's, let's go through a little, this a little bit more, right? Um, I want to sort of ask you a little bit more about sort of your, your coming out, coming out in, in, in two ways as well, coming out in this country and coming out with the effect of the internet as well, and having to sort of exist in these spaces. Well, yeah, what would you like to know? I can I'll tell you as much as you like. So, uh, Alice, this is something that you raised that I think you were sort of interested in, in asking, which I have in front of me on the notes, which mm. is one of the things about your sort of 
coming up story is that it was very closely stage managed mm, with some with some fantastic stage assistance as well from from <laughs> you and pretty much every other YouTuber and podcaster on both sides of the Atlantic. It's been an open secret for a long, long time. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> crucially, and like emphasis on the secret and open secret, because like mm -hmm. as much as we might have slipped up on streams and stuff, we were doing that for damn near a year. Yeah, and um, that was just you. That was, I mean, you you guys weren't the yeah, first yeah. to know. Um, but yes, it was it was kept secret for a long time. Uh, that was for a few reasons, really. Partly personal, I, I wanted to kind of take some time to enjoy it and get used to it before I jumped into this position of public responsibility and mm. attention. Um, it was partly for artistic reasons. I mean, I, I remember when I realized I was trans, I experienced it very much as a fait accompli. It's, it's something that was like already done. It wasn't, it wasn't like making a choice. It was realizing that it was a choice was already made. So I, I kind of wanted to present it like that in the coming out video as if like, this isn't something that is going to happen. This has already happened. Mm. And the question is, how do we respond to it and, and enjoy it? Um, and partly it was stage managed to make it easier for cis people to understand. I knew that, I mean, transitioning at any time is difficult, but transitioning mm. in the public eye. The emotional labor of making your transition mm. and your gender legible to cis people. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, you'll, you'll recall that it was simultaneous on all platforms across Patreon, Twitter, Tumblr, everything I have all switched. You know, I had a coming out photo shoot ready to go. Um, I, I mean, it's a little bit like joining the royal family, to be honest. Because LinkedIn endorsement for gender. There you go, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, I had I had interviews set up in the press, ready to go, mm. ready to print as soon as it happened. Um, and it was a little bit like joining the royal family because to me, I'm I'm just doing it for love, and it's because this is what makes me happy. But I knew there would be this like big fucking deal for everyone else. And I ha kind of had to take a step back when I realized I was trans and go, okay, if I was managing somebody else's PR team and they were going to come out as trans, how would I do this in a way that helps their audience? So mm. that was kind of why it had to be a secret and why I'm so grateful to all of you for keeping that secret for such a long time. Mm. Well, like one, one of the things that I w was thinking about was... There's this really sort of night and day difference, right, between uh, <laughs> you having to having to manage this over the course of months, and the way the clumsiness, right, in which turfs and I'm doing big air quotes here come out, mm. right, like they can absolutely get on the wine and like <laughs> a bunch of tweets at one a.m. And then yeah. just be like, yeah, no, fuck you. I think this actually. Uh, yeah. Like, and then Riley's I, law kicks in, and they never post normal again. <laughs> that's that's right. right. Again, it's it's unfair, complete because you, once you discover you're a turf, there's no going back. Yeah. It's, it's too it's too <laughs> delicious being a turf. Mm. Like you get that one taste. It's like <laughs> yeah, it's heroin. The forbidden fruit. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and I think there is also you know quite a bit of there 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 tends to be that when you once you come out as a turf, you sort of then are celebrated by the sort of same section of the sort of media and politics that look at all this massive public opinion. And just for, for context, another opinion poll came out in Scotland today where I, I think 44% of women and 40% of men were in favor of like robust pro-trans reforms to gender recognition. Yeah. And then another like, what, like Plurality. 27 percent did. We're like, yeah, do do what you want. Don't care. N another yeah. another twenty six, twenty seven percent of uh, no preference. Don't mind. Another ten percent of don't know. Yeah. 
And so you were left with like about like about sixteen percent. What I'm getting at is that the the if you like the the mainstream media, so to speak, and especially the Times, mm. the Guardian, uh, the New Statesman, the Spectator, yeah. and others, uh, they are uh, they are, and especially like our our political class as well, largely the voice of that sixteen percent. Mm. And mm-hmm. when you get on the wine and like a bunch of tweets at one a.m., uh, they will then herald your your coming out as a turf as brave, effectively. Yeah, it's mm. it's very it's very very sad because. I remember when I was a little kid, I used to practice reading by reading my mum's copy of The Times. And in November of 2020, The Times referred to trans people as an epidemic. And I remember, mm-hmm. God, I used to read this paper as a child, and now they're calling me a disease. It was very Children sad. sacrificed mm. to appease trans lobby was Janice Turner's yeah, headline. Get the, the get the echoes on trans, trans lobby as well. Well, that shouldn't be allowed. Because the t- <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, I'm all in favor of trans rights, but look, yeah, yeah, sacrificing yeah, but the children. children. Sacrificing when, the children. When did they bring this in? What kind of gender yeah. necromancy are you doing down there at the trans yeah. headquarters? Yeah. We're firing them down a big pneumatic tube. Yeah. Um, okay, now I'm back on board. Yeah. Oh, you didn't say it was for invention. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's very sad because um, uh, the idea that there's a trans lobby coming for f- coming for your kids is literally a Nazi conspiracy theory. I mean, this is why the Nazis burned the library of Magnus Hirschfeld. So it's very, it's very alarming to see people saying that. In fact, I mean, we can cut this out if it gets a little bit too dark. But I remember a few months into my transition, I went to see my, my brother and his family, and I hadn't seen them since the pandemic started. Um, and it was about time for my, my baby niece to be getting out of nursery. And I was walking to the nursery with my brother, and I suddenly realized, and I said to him, I can't go to the school gates with you to pick up your daughter. Because if people see you at the school gates with a trans woman, I know what they will say. Because I know what they say about us in the papers. And I don't know if someone's going to say something to you or if they're going to wait till I go and they're going to say something to my niece's teacher or to her. And I said, I've got to go. I've got to go home. And I couldn't be there to hold my niece. And my brother had to say to her that Auntie Abby loves you and she wants to see you but she can't pick you up outside of school because somebody might write something in the papers about it. And that is what the papers in this country have done, is they've made a little girl feel like her auntie doesn't love her. So that is why my coming out had to be so staged managed, because I know what this country is like, and I know what women like me and Alice have ahead of us. And it's that this... The, the transphobia in the UK, as we said, created by these entities. It is not mm. natural. It was not in the air. It's not that there's something in the water. It was, it is literally a political project by actually existing entities, right? This is something I've always found very bizarre about it. Because, I mean, there's lots of, like, really bad political tendencies in Britain that are fanned by the press. But a lot of them make more sense than others. Like, okay, smacking the racism button. Like, yeah, it's pretty easy to sell the British public on racism. I get that. The turf shit is some of the most delusional stuff because they, they try and frame transgender rights as this, like, well, try selling that on the doorstep in Bolsover or whatever. And it's like, try selling turfism. Like, these people, like, at worst, they just don't care. They're not interested. Like, they certainly don't like turfs because turfs are exactly the kind of people they fucking hate. They're yeah. like rich white liberals who spend all their time, like, drinking Chardonnay and talking bollocks about toilets or whatever. Like, they appeal to these people <laughs> the zero. with toilets. It just goes on and on. <laughs> we have a theory about this, which is very much... Much like this has only been so effective because what the turfs have really done 
is re- has have done like they've done a very good job at linking it to child abuse and linking it to um, the mm. general kind of tendency. Yeah, this this the, could never have happened without the kind of hysteria that right. we had in the late nineties and early noughties of like b- fucking burning down pediatricians' houses and stuff, mm. yeah, or gay men becoming oh, teachers. Yeah. Uh, Remember that? Who's saying? Carry on. Yeah, well, like this, like child abuse. Um, like yeah, like kind of like child abuse hysteria, pedophilia hysteria. Um, I know that like on Ten K, like when we had Merritt on, like she had met, and, like Merritt is an American, but like she has. Like she's lived in the UK and has had some experience and she made this point about like, well, it's only in the UK that like you have like all these documentaries about like, and all, and all these like experts on like, you know, um, like P, uh, like pedophilia in like the eighties and nineties. And of course, like mm. this hysteria is like sort of built and what I think the, like the, the kind of very notable turfs have done. Cause I did like, you know, I don't know if you guys had seen, but like a, a mutual of some of us had like stuck up for like trans people and all like a lot of the people that like had thought that he was on their side, um, had suddenly like turned on him. And it was like a very interesting way of like looking at, well, how does this sort of begin? So it begins with being told that, oh, you know, you don't care about women. You're a misogynist. But then as like time goes on, he gets accused of like being a pedophile. He gets accused of like wanting, um, women like to be abused in changing rooms. There's suddenly this like fixation on athletics and like bodybuilding, which I always found very Mm. weird. Um, some, one of them Mm. was just like, I don't want men in our prisons which is just like just such a bizarre sentence to me. Sam was prison was a wonderful safe place to be. <laughs> you'd go to prison for a laugh, you'd take children there to prison, but now they've ruined these prisons putting the trans women in was, there. You can't I, I have I have I have an insidious I have an insidious little detail which is from the latest set of parliamentary hearings about self-identification happened this week. Um, where where a woman said, uh, very very plainly that like if someone has unspent convictions against women, then they should have their gender recognition certificate revoked because that's incompatible with being a woman, and that's verbatim. Because no woman has ever committed a crime against women. But I think you're no. absolutely right, Hussein, that there is there is they have very effectively weaponized the language of safeguarding for children but it's a particular kind of cisnormative safeguarding um because this comes in the context of uh the decision in Bell v Tavistock which has the result of, of which has been that trans children under 16 now require a court order to get puberty blockers and that uh that high court decision has been internationally condemned by uh human rights groups by lawyers and by doctors actually um so this comes in the context of actual children actually being denied life saving medical care but they have very effectively weaponized this language of child safeguarding and you know what and the the other place it's been rec- it's been weaponized as well is the first place that jumped to my mind anyway was uh Rotherham and grooming gangs and stuff mm-hmm. yeah absolutely you know, mm-hmm. and well, like i i think i think we can also talk about Savile, we can talk about Jimmy. Uh, we yeah. can talk about Jimmy Savile. We can talk about uh, Peter Sutcliffe. We can allegedly right? like, talk about Prince Andrew. Yeah, like the, the, so much of this, I think, is this really reflected anxiety over like genuine, unarguable male violence. Right? Like, I was, I was, I watched the Netflix documentary on Peter Sutcliffe, and I was struck to see Julie Bindle there, having like made her name. Writing these, uh, writing these articles about how, yeah, there was in fact this serial killer, and it wasn't women's fault, and he wasn't like in any way just for targeting women, and like 
you kind of see the the line there of how that like you take these very real uh you know sources of of hurt and terror and you just veer off of them mail it's, them to the wrong you, address it's, it's a, what, what it seems to mm-hmm. happen is that the put them it, in the wrong pneumatic tube the, 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 <laughs> yeah. the violence is taken out of the social relationship of patriarchy and put onto the chromosome Yes, yeah. Yeah. like I, I, fucking Jimmy Savile, right? Never felt any need to dress as a woman, right? Peter Sutcliffe never had any need to like be like, well, actually, I I identify as a woman, so it's fine for me to to murder you. Like he didn't need to do that because he was enabled by the same sort of like structural misogyny that was like that they're now yeah. perpetuating. Less less than two percent of rapes in England and Wales result in charges. And that's not because rapists are self-IDing as women. No, people get very mad at me when I say this, but rape is legal in the United Kingdom. Mm, and it's factor, not because yeah. it's this like... This is not legal advice. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, as, as your attorney, I have to say that no, legally it is not. But in a practical sense, right, if hardly anyone is arrested for it, and then of the people who are arrested, hardly anyone is charged, and then of the people who are charged, hardly any of them go to trial, and then of the ones who go to trial, hardly any of them are convicted, and then of the ones who are convicted, hardly any of them get a custodial sentence, then when you're talking about that minority of a minority of a minority of a minority, how can you then say that this is a law that is, like, effective that is actually on the books as opposed to just being something that exists to like scoop up a handful of people by chance and i mean i think what 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 i'd like to sort of you know sort of emphasize here as well right is that the transphobia in the uk is so pervasive and sort of difficult to escape that even when you're on the side of trans rights you always find yourself talking in the sense of um well, no, there is not. This is not a. a there is not a, a. There is not a danger here. Yeah, there is the not. Foot. These are not sort of dangerous people. This is not an invasion. You are not being replaced. You're sort of. There is no. It's very difficult to get out of the framing. Uh, that is again that represents this very small minority of people. Mm. Yeah, it's it's so tempting to to get in there and sort of try to refute these things and try to fact check. And we make fun of liberals for doing this about everything else. But it's an immendous, it's, it's an immensely like seductive impulse to be like, well, no, this this simply isn't true. You're, you're, you're lying, and I'm going to prove that you're lying. Mm. But the thing that I'd point out is that for a lot of these people, they know damn well that they're not telling the truth. Mm. And it's, it's, it's convenient for them to do that. Um, and I think if you make that effort, if you're trying to convince them, and I, I I do draw a distinction, I think you can try and convince like third party observers, right? But like, if you're trying to talk to that person and say, no, come on, this isn't accurate, and this this isn't some epidemic of rapists in waiting just queuing up outside your bathroom, they're laughing at you for it, mm. and not unreasonably because you're taking them at face value, and you're 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 insisting that they don't see any absurdity in what they're saying, but they absolutely uh, do. Alice, I believe you are setting me up for a certain uh, mm-hmm. long passage. It's oh. almost like I'm some kind of professional podcaster, <laughs> isn't it? So um, there's a, a famous passage from Sartre about anti-Semitism specifically, but from which we can draw, I think, a general conclusion about sort of, if you like, m- mass prejudice in this way, right? So... Uh, He says, never believe that anti-Semites are completely unaware of the absurdity of their replies. Uh, They know that their remarks are frivolous and open to challenge, 
but they are amusing themselves, for it is their adversary who is obliged to use words responsibly since he believes in words. The anti-Semites have a right to play. They even like to play with discourse for, by giving ridiculous reasons, they discredit the seriousness of their interlocutors. They delight in acting in bad faith, since they seek not to persuade by sound argument, but to intimidate and disconcert. And if you press them too closely, they abruptly fall silent, loftily indicating by some phrase that the time for argument is past. And the fact that a lot of the framing about the discussion of trans rights in the UK is so disingenuous, it means that we, we end up advocating and fighting for things that are really not good enough. So the most that we have managed to wring from some politicians is an acknowledgement that maybe the waiting times for the gender identity clinics are a little bit long. And some politicians have positioned themselves as wonderful heroes by saying, we must pledge to reduce the waiting times for gender identity clinics. But that's not and good we've, enough we've because we need to close every single one of them and get healthcare mm -hmm. the same way everyone else bloody does. Yeah, we've I, I've mentioned this before and in in passing, but like I I I cannot stress enough how fucking much nonce shit the gender identity <laughs> clinic system is. It is like, but it's it's simultaneously very stupid, very slow, and yet also like humiliatingly intrusive. Like they will ask you to do things and say things that for no real reason other than to prove your own commitment to allowing yourself to be humiliated. And like that that is like technically right. That technically the the real life experience thing is not a thing anymore. It's not uh, something that the NHS mm. does. But what it certainly used to be, and in practice, I've certainly found it to be. But the idea is that like, if you go to a gender clinic, if you finally get that, that referral, and you've been, by this point, on a waiting list for anything up to five years, um, and you finally see a specialist, the first thing they'll say to you is, how long have you been dressing as a woman? How long have you like? How long since you have changed your name on your ID? How long have you uh, been out to all of your friends and family? And that used to, and in practice, kind of still does. Start a little clock, right? Mm. And you couldn't get prescribed hormones until you had been out in real life experience. Uh, being a woman, but without the benefit of any of that sort of medical support for at least a year. And it used to be longer, it used to be two years. Mm. Um, and also, and it's, if, it's, you re if you really want the hot take, gender identity mm. clinics is how we get Kira Bell. Um, because we don't have much control over our own transitions. I mean, there are non-binary people in this country who report having to pretend to be more binary than they are because they have to jump through the hoops that the gender identity I, clinic hello, presents. Yes. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and you, you have, they, have to, they have to act up. I mean, I was just chatting to a friend yesterday who said, oh, when I went to my appointment at the GIC, I had to, you know, pretend I couldn't say the word penis to, because that's what the doctor expects to see. Um, so that's how we get situations like Kira Bell's because we're not allowed to control our own bodies. Yeah, it, it's like they're very interested in a lot of intrusive details, but like they won't actually support you through any of oh, God, them. No. Like you, you're still left to handle this stuff on your own, and it's it, it's always this sort of grinding thing in the back of my head when we when we talk about like every time libs do the thing where we like have the 2012 Olympics about how great the NHS is, right? And I'm not saying this as a, we have to privatize the NHS. You know better than that. But 
It takes a lot of gall to be like, oh, this is this is the best health system in the world, having been like exposed to the way that it does trans healthcare. Mm. Uh, which is to say that it just kind of doesn't. Well, and again, that and that goes back to what we were saying earlier, right? Which is uh, trans people for a variety of reasons that are again connected to historical prejudice, that are connected to ingrained mm. sort of homophobia that saw this as within its purview, and that also sort of comes in that also has its roots in that has been difficult to solve because of a relatively recent uh, full court press media campaign that sort of suggests just disingenuously and frequently like without proof or with sort of shaky misrepresented statistics and so on and so on that this is somehow a bad thing and that at best it's a bad thing we have to learn to live with right this is mm. and this is because of that this is this is a, if you want to think like oh media studies is ridiculous you shouldn't care about it this is a media studies problem mm. in in no small part and a philosophical one i i think something i'm interested in is transphobia as a kind of constructed deliberate ignorance um and i can i can give you an interesting example of this uh, involving public toilets since we live mm. in england um <laughs> we do love a toilet we do love a public toilet we love <laughs> to worry about toilets and where people shit so when mm. public women's toilets were first built in camden in the 19th century there was a lot of sexist backlash because people said, well, why do women, women don't need to be shitting, women not be shitting, women should be in the Maybe home, shopping. do you do you shit in there? Well, they said they shouldn't be out shopping. But then women came back and said, you know what, women be shopping, and sometimes when women be shopping, we need to be shitting as well, so we need public mm. toilets. And there was a lot of sexist backlash. So when TERFs say women's spaces are hard won and need to be defended, they are right. But what they miss is the fact that when those public toilets were constructed, only upper-class, white, cis, able-bodied women were allowed to use them. If you were black, not coming in. If, you, if you're on your way to work in a factory, not coming in. If you're visibly a sex worker, not coming in. So when TERFs say that women are oppressed only on the basis of their sex, they miss the fact that for the majority of us, majority of women on Earth, that simply isn't true. But they pretend mm. to be deliberately ignorant of this, and they perform an ignorance of this, I think, Kind of in a way to avoid talking about race and class. Mm. Absolutely, mm. and like this is this is, this ties into my sort of uh, why do all of these people sound like they're talking about the Great Replacement? Mm. Why are all turfs one step away from talking about George Soros? Mm. And like Sometimes the answer. Not even one. Oh, I've been accused mm. of working oh, with George yeah. to uh, to and and big pharma to sterilize white mothers. Yeah. Need to get on Which that. I'm not one doing of your a very weird good job projects, of it. I have to say, Abby. Yeah, but yeah, we support you nonetheless. I do do some stuff that's pretty out there, but you go really in on your videos. Yeah. <laughs> it's the same. It's the same anxiety, though. It's like realizing that you are a privileged minority, and your response to that being, "Not only am I not a minority at all, I'm just normal, mm. and in fact, I'm speaking for a silent majority mm. here." Mm. But on top of that, right? I'm not just I'm not just that but I'm like anything that suggests that my position that how I got here like isn't hard won by me personally mm. right like it it's not like <laughs> I think to a certain extent transphobia is like a disease of mediocrity right like it 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 comes from realizing that like oh Kind of anybody could write Guardian columns about how mm. my husband, who is a gaming YouTuber, doesn't know how to use a toilet. <laughs> or maybe the wizard books are actually just okay. 
my enormously successful series of novels uh, became so less out of my own ability and more sort of just by chance. Anything like that it just really sort of gets in your head. I, for one, cannot imagine why a bunch of wealthy upper middle class white women who write columns in The Guardian wouldn't want to have a discussion about race or class. I, it's not, <laughs> it is not for me to speculate. But one of the and things to be fully, fully intersectional, like one of the reasons why it, it they get so into women's sports is, uh, well, <laughs> look at who's winning women's sports. Mm. And it was so funny to me watching all of these sort of former British Olympians come out against Caster Semenya, right? As this yeah. sort of uh, Who is invasive president. Mm. Who is a cis woman? Um, but like one of them, I don't remember her name, but she came 16th, right? <laughs> and, she was like, and she was like, no, this is, this is a threat to our sport. I'm like, you weren't. What, what exactly were you being threatened with? Coming 15th? But I think it's also important to talk about, right? Like, it's that turfism isn't simply a, a sort of white women thing either. I mean, one of the biggest proponents of this whole thing from the beginning in the Times is Rod Little. Yes. Like this is, I think, the important thing. And this is, so I, I spoke with a friend and, and multi-time guest of the show, uh, uh, Juliet Jacques, uh, while sort of preparing for this as well. And, you know, we were, we were talking about how, like, you know, in, in, like, you can't just see turfery as feminism gone awry. Mm. Uh, what she sort of wants to emphasize, right, is that, is that a lot of these sort of the, the second wave feminists and stuff, right, were sort of were victims of male violence in the 1970s. And so they were like, we don't want anything, anything man related here or that mm. we see as man related. And how, what Juliet sort of talked about with me and what I sort of thought made a good amount of sense was that you have to see turfery as a form of displaced patriarchy where trauma from cis men is passed on to trans women, often via cis women, and that it's a kind of political whiteness. Uh, yes, I think, I mean, I'm reluctant to say, oh, it's because people are traumatized and, and they act well, I out. Think because, this, um, she's yeah. talking about that she's talking about rooting this in history, I think. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying all TERFs were at some point traumatized, yeah. but rather like the philosophical roots of this in, in, the, 19, in the 1970s were mm -hmm. in this. In this sort of in this sort of shifting uncertain area, and oh yeah, and like that—that's one of the things that like gets me too, right? Is this sort of deployment of this backwards, right? And I'm I'm thinking once again about the Sutcliffe documentary, right? And I get very very upset about the extent to which an entire era of British feminism has sort of largely been hijacked by uh by transphobes now because like. You can't look as a trans woman at these at these sort of at this footage of like the the earliest reclaim the night marches say right what that should be is you should be thinking you should be allowed to be thinking oh yes these are my sisters right these are sort of comrades in arms we we share a struggle here what you end up thinking uh, having been taught very effectively by the media is I wonder how many of these women are currently posting at me right now. Mm. And to be fair, trans women have been not only involved, but actually organizing um, mm -hmm. women's rights and, and uh, gay women's rights for a long time. So there were, uh, I think it was 1973, a trans woman called Beth Elliott organized a national lesbian conference in the United States. 
And she was attacked on stage by TERFs, 70s TERFs, which are like now, but the haircuts were worse, if you can imagine it. (laughs) We've been doing this dance for for 50 years. Uh, And and this is, again, one of the things that Juliet sort of took pains to make clear to me as well was in the 1970s, as now, this was a minority opinion. Yes, it was. This is not Mm. a majority opinion. What this is, is it is a reactionary opinion that is propped up by a reactionary political and media sphere, mm, effectively. Yeah. You, know Ever thus. you know what's funny is, as much as they like to lay claim to, to radical feminism, you know who was uh, surprisingly and very explicitly transpositive was um, uh, was Andrea Dworkin, mm-hmm. who is like oft oft cited as like this absolute like the apex of man hating radical feminism, right? And you know. May- <laughs> Like I, I will say this: like if if uh, Andrea Dworkin had a, a, a hatred of men, she came by it honestly, and like as such was driven to this kind of much more logically consistent position, which is that like if if gender is like this war that's going on, this war of oppression, it kind of behooves you to welcome defectors to your side. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like, like, the gender clinic is now just like a bridge and there's people in trench coats <laughs> and you're just like shoving people across yeah. literally she, she she genuinely saw this as like oh we have to provide uh, a, a pathway to transition mm. um, out, of, out of this sort of awful thing masculinity right and and we have to provide that as an emergency medical service because of course there are going to be refugees from it well mm. even, even before she was making that very simplistic, and I, I think I don't know. I, well, I don't know about you, Alice. I'm slightly insulted by that, but, but yeah. But even before she was making that kind of um, that kind of analogy, there were black feminists way before that. Like you had the Kimberley River Collective in the 60s and 70s, uh, and Audre Lorde and Kimberly Crenshaw being like, yeah, trans women absolutely part of this. Like, why why would you only focus on sex when there's also race and class and other things to be talking about as well? Um, so yeah, e- even before the even before some of the white radical feminists were doing it, I mean, it it was we were already there. We were already part of it. But uh, Abby, have you considered how this will play on the doorstep in Bassett Law? <laughs> <laughs> have have to the people who who say that I say, have you considered how being a transfer will play on the doorstep of a trans person in those places? Mm-hmm. Because we're there. We are everywhere. <laughs> and that's Bassett's <laughs> Law. Tuesday nights, 8 p.m. So, um, <laughs> she's the only trans detective on the force. <laughs> uh, we support oh, no, her in being trans, but not in being a cop. My favorite uh, cop drama of the 1980s, uh, Bathroom Rider. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to yell. You don't have to yell, Michelle. I'm all around you. Um, <laughs> Driving a bathroom. Yeah, Just right. the bones from the show Bones examining a pelvis and being like, I don't know, it looks male to me, Bones. <laughs> <laughs> bones, but like turf bones. Yeah, the turf's yeah. from the show. Bombness. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> see, there are. I, I, I have a few more things here. Um, I want to talk a little bit as yeah, well. Lightning round. About, um, yeah. <laughs> 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 missing words round. That's right. Uh, hands on buzzers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, um, this is right. This is from uh, academic uh, Alison Phipps, who's pre- professor of gender studies at the University of Sussex. Um, and this is where I sort of grabbed that phrase political whiteness, where she says ultimately trans misogyny in the UK is uh, 
focused on violence against white cis women and lasers in on the male body as a source of privilege. Ooh, There's yeah, a the, lot uh... of straight white privileged cis women involved and whiteness has everything to do with it. Whiteness and class privilege. She goes on to say, it is Carolyn Bryant, who is Emmett Till's accuser all over again. Trans exclusionary feminism is grounded in fear and in some cases a hatred of the other and a deep need for protection. Yeah, I mean, I, I again, I'm reluctant to say that all like TERFs have been traumatized. I, th- I think that some some TERFery, I think, is ca- kind of misandry, like the hatred of men that is being sent to the wrong address, um, again, down the wrong pneumatic tube. Mm. We've already <laughs> covered the kind of whiteness and the class base, but y- you're right to bring up there is this incredibly intense focus on the penis. This like Zardoz, the penis is evil. Like it's there's mm. so much focus on that. Devoid. That outfit in Zardoz did draw a lot of attention to the penis. It did, it did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but there is this uh, like intense focus on it. The homophobia also. Yes. Like mm. it, it's it's not only a fear of 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 men and masculinity, but there's a there's a deep hatred and spite towards uh mm. both gay men and like effeminate men. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is like very, very interesting when you see how much of this stuff is like recycled from the eighties oh, with like yeah. the serial numbers well, yeah. filed off. It, it, it essentially like it's like someone you could if you if you look closely you can see that the words McMartin preschool have been just removed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> from this building. Yeah. It is the panic at the potential loss of a, like we said, privileged minority position. Effectively, the panic at the idea that this might happen. Mm. And this, I think, was why uh, Phipps draws the, the Emmett Till parallel, right? Which is, um, you know, and, and why this also comes in as the, the hatred of the other as well. And Britain is nothing else if incredible at making hatred of the other a standard, uh, a, stand, a, a, a sort of default position. Yeah, but before mm. you can hate the other, you need to decide on what grounds will you demarcate that other. Um, because I, I am not an other to women. I, I am a woman, and feminist causes are my causes. Women's rights are my rights. Uh, so before you can hate the other, you need to have a way of pointing them out. And the way that TERFs do that is with, is with this kind of Zardoz penis obsession. Yeah, it's fucking chromosomes, well, it's, it's it? got Yeah, well, it's like dicks, and therefore like dicks devoid of any context. Um, they, they view them as somehow like uniquely threatening or that they must or, or that they are always masculine oh, like when, the Romans yeah yeah they, they really are <laughs> they, they are put a nice threatening them. dick on this chariot yeah. Yeah. And like I, I think that one of them one of the most abiding and valuable contributions that my illustrious uh, colleague Natalie has made to the public discourse is highlighting that sometimes penises are feminine there is there is girl dick like it behaves differently it's if you take it out of context it's not the same um it's nothing like the dicks you know (laughs) 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 to be honest a lot of people in pe changing room said that about my dick but i'm not sure it was in such an affirming way But there is this, this um, and it, it reminds me of Kierkegaard's Madman, um, which is a fantastic bit of philosophy that I love. I put some Kierkegaard in the notes I know, too. That's almost, philosophy almost like I'm queuing you up. Um, but Kierkegaard mm-hmm. has, this, uh, has this story about a lunatic who escapes from an asylum, and he, he thinks to himself, well, I've got to blend in with the locals, because otherwise they'll realize I'm mad and they'll send me back. So he resolves to only say things that are true. So he, he goes up to people and says, the world is round. The world is round, the world is round. And everyone he sees, he says, the world is round, the world is round. That's all he says, because it's true. And of course, they instantly realize that he's mad and they drag him back. And Kierkegaard's point is that it's not just about saying things that are true. It's about saying things 
in the right context. So there are people who will say, penis, you've got a penis. They'll point out that I've got one and Alice has got one and we do. Like there's there's three dicks sitting around this For table. Now, For Mr. now, Chopper. Mr. Chopper. <laughs> Put it in the pneumatic tube and send it back. Yeah, and right. join me in the dick tube. <laughs> <laughs> there's three dicks sitting around this table right now, but one of them is very, very with different. That's the real. Exactly. <laughs> so it's about the context in which you say it. But again, we come back to this idea that turfitude is this enforced ignorance and it's this absolute refusal to know about things like context or change. Yeah, which is also why it's so funny, right? Like, why they do so many self-owns. It's why they always insist on... Mm. We we can always tell. (laughs) Or, like, telling a trans man that, like, he'll always be a man. Things mm. like that. Oh my god! I had somebody within hours reply to me when I did my coming out post. Yeah, sorry, a... Abby. You're you're always gonna be a woman. Yeah, there's and, somebody uh... replied me like you will always be a woman and a pretty feminine one at that. And I was like, thanks. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> oh shut. Gotcha. Um, and I think you know, we if we want to sort of if we want to say, well, where is this where is this otherness come from? You can I think you can combine that with that discussion of ignorance pretty well and say, well. The the otherness is on the other side of that wall of intentional ignorance. Mm. It's that I've decided that I'm going to be, I'm just going to not know some stuff and everything beyond that wall of information I refuse to take in, yeah. that's the other. And it's sad. It really is sad. And a lot of TERFs seem to me to be very, very angry and upset. And they don't recognize that, well... We're not others. Alice and I, we are women. And as I say, feminism is our struggle too. And we have a part to play in it. And we, trans women, we've always been here. We've always been part mm-hmm. of it. God, actually, describing turfism as the refusal to know things has suddenly made me realize why it's such a thing in Britain. Because there's nothing more British than refusing to know things. Absolutely. I've said this on this podcast before. British people fucking hate knowing stuff and they resent people who do. <laughs> so I think with um I think that's that's a that's a lovely little button to put on it, I think. Yeah. Um so uh Abby, do you have any any final thoughts uh before we uh transition into this uh, episode uh-huh. being over. <laughs> very, very nice. No, I don't think I do, um, except that if you'd like I, to I refuse to know things. Uh, my, my, mine is that, like, I, I'm very resistant to, to sort of tie this up in a, in, in a nice bow, and that's sort of... Uh, I, I'm engaged in a dialectic here, right? Mm. The two parts of my nature, trans woman and podcaster, are our intention. Well, Alice, right? because... dialectic away. I'm afraid, Alice, you'll never be a podcaster. You'll always be a woman. And a pretty feminine one of that. You'll always be a YouTuber. No, I like as as a podcaster, as someone who does this professionally, I want to put a nice little bow on this segment and be like, well, this was this was nice. Let's let's have some closing thoughts and let's move on. I also, as a trans woman, don't want to do that because like I'm, Ultimately, like to you, the cis, the cisgender listener, mm. you, once you're done listening to this, you can kind of forget about it. But um, Abby and I can't. No. Mm. Uh, we're 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 gonna have to keep doing this. Yeah, especially and if you're British, because you'll be like, "Fuck, I just learned something quick." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I have to forget it instantly. <laughs> yeah, and and like the thing is, if if you want, if you want like a a happy ending to this that makes you feel good as a cis ally, you haven't earned one. Right, because all of this shit is still happening. It's still miserable, uh, and it's it's going to continue to do that. So mm. yeah, just just I invite you to think upon that for a while. Mm. I've earned one, but I'm special. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, R.I.P. Yeah. R.I.P. to you, but I'm different. Yeah, you're not included in that, the listener. <laughs> 
this is sort of worth doubling down on, right? Because it's more than a debate. The people who want it to be mm. a debate are the ones who want it to be a debate forever and are the ones who mm. can sort of notch a victory up, mm. you know, whenever, um, you know, the, the essentially self-ID gets, yeah. despite its popularity, um, gets sort of struck down uh, again mm. and again yeah. because that's letting this just stay as an mm. interesting kind of yeah. parlor discussion to it be carried on in columns. It is exhausting, right? And I, I, I don't mean to sort of belabor this point, right? But, like... It really is sort of never ending, and it's—I don't know. It—it's it, very—it's very tempting just to just to be like, oh yeah, good, good podcast segment. But it, it doesn't stop there, and you know, I—I'm not sure what else I can productively say about that, other than that, like, it's sort of—it's—it's it's very difficult, right? I knew this was going to be a difficult episode to record going into it because you're you're sort of asking me to take off a bit of my armor, right? Where I do this. Uh, where, where I do this for a living, I kind of like, I process this by being like, yeah, this is actually fine. I'm not mad. I'm actually laughing. And um, it's it, not actually the case, as it turns out. It's considerably more more taxing and more draining than that. And it's it's sort of something that I'm I'm loath to admit, but it's it, it's not an easy thing. And it's not an easy thing because it has been made to be difficult and more difficult than it needs to be. Though, as I said in my coming out video, even when other people make it hard, being trans is a gift. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. I think, and I think as with so many things, right, like with these people, they're not trying to win the debate. Actually, their victory no. is the debate itself. The debate is what they want to keep going. And it's the same with trans rights and so many other things like, I don't know, like the homeless or whatever. Very, just keeping the debate going is how they win. Mm -hmm. So uh, in the spirit of not keeping the debate going, uh, and uh, fuck debate, <laughs> fuck learning things, fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and getting and getting some dinner. Uh, I want to say uh, to our lovely guest Abby Thorne, thank you so much for coming and talking to us today. My pleasure. It's always <laughs> nice to be on TF. Indeed, and to thank you, the listener, uh, for listening today. Uh, it is always nice to have you listening. And don't forget, uh, we have a uh, Patreon episode coming out in a couple of days. Five bucks a month, you can subscribe to it. It is going to be with uh, Shanti Singh about how uh, billionaires uh, have a, a strange thing about running for office in California. Uh, so uh, that is going to be quite a bit of fun. We're lo really looking forward to that. Uh, additionally, uh, don't forget to check out Abby's Patreon. Yes, yes, I run a channel called Philosophy Tube. If you weren't already aware of it, you don't have to sign up to the Patreon. Just come along and watch the show and learn something. My next episode is going to be about, sneak a preview for you, Capital punishment and prison abolition. Indeed. So mm. Unless I that. change I assume it. those are both good things. <laughs> yes. Like, how are they both good things? <laughs> Capital punishment, good. Prison abolition, also good. Yeah. Oh, you no, just, that's instead the Obama of prison policy. Yeah, yeah. Instead of prisons, a guy just shoots. Yeah, that's just you. You can't get be in prison <laughs> if you get shot. Instead that's of right. prisons, a pneumatic chew. <laughs> yeah, you get delivered a pepper grinder. At, sorry, I've ordered a pepper <laughs> grinder recently. That's why it's on my mind. I've got pepper grinders on the brain. <laughs> it's a really good one. It's a, a Peugeot Paris 22 centimeter in natural beech wood. Why do you have a car branded fucking. Nate, just fade this out as we go. Just <laughs> Look, fade uh, it out. The other, otherwise, <laughs> uh, don't forget to uh, check out 10K Posts. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, oh, uh, we have a Patreon. Uh, 10K Posts uh, Patreon is live as of today. So not only should you listen to our free episode and our Patreon episode with Nate, 
where he talks about his ongoing war with the QCs. Um, another aspect, another <laughs> aspect of British posting and the British psyche that you know, if you enjoyed this mm. episode, I'm sure it will benefit you know that in terms of trying to understand posting on this island. Um, yeah, and uh, sign up for the Patreon because we have a lot of plans for some good episodes and stuff. And I believe there's also a Seinfeld podcaster in the house. Yeah, if you would like to learn absolutely fucking nothing, and in fact learn <laughs> negative things, like somehow lose <laughs> knowledge from your brain, uh, listen to Masters of Our if Domain you are British. with me and Phoebe. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, where we allegedly talk about Seinfeld, but not really. I've heard a lot of people express concerns that they don't know anything about Seinfeld, and can I say, buddy, you still won't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and finally, if you I got, we all kind of started uh, our other podcast kind of. This is the beginning yeah. of the end. We're all like Yoko Onoing ourselves. Yeah. Uh, and finally, uh, if you are Canadian or interested in Canada, uh, no, not finally. <laughs> Fuck yeah. you. Well, there's your problem. Engineering <laughs> podcast, YouTube, slides, you, Patreon, you rank, above, you rank above us on Patreon, Alex. Owned. Owned. <laughs> Now that's the trans lobby at work. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, uh, and finally, if you are Canadian or interested in Canadian stuff, me and Dan Beckner have a podcast called The Bottleman. Uh, and it is available wherever you find podcasts. We are going to have to learn how to cut this. Uh, maybe, morning, maybe we're going to have to rotate <laughs> who does the plug <laughs> on each one. I, I don't know. I think nobody, it, I think nobody is still listening. Yeah, yeah no, they're all gone. They're all <laughs> long gone. They're busy right. hitting themselves on the head with a shoe. Time to say what we really think. <laughs> yeah. Oh, who, what's your favorite slur? <laughs> well, uh, mine is, and then play the trend. The trash future. Play the trash future. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. Uh, all right, cool. <laughs> Our theme song is Here We Trans. Um, <laughs> by Jensen. <laughs> by Transang. All that's right. right. Goodbye. All right.